0: Go church! Happy Fourth of July weekend! You look great. Do you feel as great as you look? Yeah. Answers: No. You look a lot better, but that's okay. Hey, uh, let me just welcome everyone tuning in online and everyone watching from Montgomery County, Maryland, West Side Atlanta, our other campuses. We greet you all. I just love my big church family, and we got a lot of people that tune in from all over the place. And so my favorite people are the ones that don't leave on the weekends and they come to church, even though it's 4th of July weekend. So you're my favorite, but that's okay, we love everybody. Can you welcome everyone tuning in online today? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Listen, every single Sunday, uh, we honor the military and we just say thank you because we just think it's uh, so Christ-like to lay your life down to protect freedom. And uh, even though we're blissfully ignorant of, of the sacrifice that it takes, But especially on 4th of July weekend, which is what this is, uh, we just, goodness, I'm just so thankful and we as a church family are just so thankful for all of you who served and even over the last two plus centuries of people that fought to get and protect the freedom uh, that we have today. It is so worth so much honor And I don't only wanna celebrate the freedom that we have this weekend, I wanna leverage it towards reaching people for Jesus, because I believe that we've been set free for freedom so that we can help set other people free. So if you're a first responder served in the military, can we just say a huge heartfelt thank you to all of those who serve. Thank you guys, thank you so much, for real. Truly mean that. And then one announcement before I get started, which I don't wanna lose any preaching time, on this announcement. So go to the website, go to the app. It'll tell you all about it. On Vision Sunday, Pastor announced the uh, Go School of Ministry and Theology. It starts August 22nd. Find all the details on the website and you can just find me afterwards and ask me all the questions there. But. I only got a certain amount of time to preach and you can just, you know, you can read. So there you go, go to the website, you got this. We're gonna continue week two of our series that we're in called Binge the Bible and uh, Pastor JC really teed it up for us last week. For the next several weeks, we're gonna be looking at the book of Acts and uh, it's a, a really awesome job Pastor JC did last week but he gave us the guiding theme. So every week we'll be reminded of the main point of the entire book of Acts and this is what it is. It demonstrates what God can do in and through people and his church when we are fully committed to the Lord and when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so today, in week two of the book of Acts, I want to look at chapter two of the book of Acts. And if you grew up in church, especially in a Pentecostal church, when you hear that there's about to be a sermon on Acts chapter two, you get real fired up. And I don't blame you. This is a big deal, what we're about to read. What we're about to read is the birthday of church as we know it. Everything changed this day. And so it's a very important passage I'm about to read to you. And I'm gonna read to you a good chunk of scripture here. And I don't want you to tune out and I don't want you to fall asleep. Stay engaged, because everything I'm gonna read to you, we're gonna break it down bit by bit and see what God had in mind when he defines a spirit-filled church, what does that look like. But... Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Ponus, Asia, Ferga, Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews, converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them all declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues. And then I'll pause after this one. Amazed and perplexed at everything that just happened, thank God, some of them asked, so what does this mean? What does this mean? And I'm here today, and kind of the guiding theme of our church, and really the guiding theme of our message today especially is, I'm just a little concerned that we've stopped asking this question. What does it mean? Like, we experience really, really powerful moments in the presence of God, and I'm afraid sometimes we don't ask, okay, but why? Like, why? And even for this church, on the day in that upper room when the Holy Spirit moved, it is an amazing, amazing moment. I mean, everything changed at this moment. There has never been an event like it in human history. It is a moment that deserves to be recognized. But I'm just a little concerned that we have really magnified only the first half of Acts chapter two, and we miss out on really what was the purpose of it. Because what we're about to see They didn't have that moment and say, oh, wow, that was fun. Like, that was really cool. Let's come back to the upper room again next week and do the same thing and just keep coming back over and over and over again and feeling really good together. That wasn't the purpose of it. The purpose of it wasn't the landing spot for, okay, this is church. It was the launch pad. God was launching the church all over the entire world on that day. He didn't give them the power of the Holy Spirit so that they could feel something. He gave them the power of the Holy Spirit so that they could found something, so that they could start something, something that could transform the entire world, swept across the Roman Empire to the ends of the earth, changing the lives of every single nation because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we see what says tongues of fire resting on their head, I wish I had time to tell you a little Old Testament theology here, but let me give you a little synopsis. The same pillar of fire that led the Israelites when they were wandering the desert that led them, that is the same fire and the same word used to describe what rested above all of those people in the upper room that day. So what does that tell us here? We're not trying to invite people into the upper room. When we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we carry the upper room Every single place that we go, that is the point of Pentecost. That is the reason that we are a spirit-filled church, and that is what God had in mind. Not really, really cool Sundays, but transformation all over the world. So what happened that we just read was so monumental. It was the birthday, but the birthday isn't the only part of it. The next thing that happened was just as significant. So we're gonna pick up, I'm skipping a lot of verses for time's sake, but Peter starts preaching. I mean, he's preaching the word and we're gonna pick up right at the end of his message. It's that part of the message where the person comes out and plays the keys. You know, this is the part of the message we're picking up. He had someone come play the keys. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. And this is what happened, verse 36. Peter's preaching. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Again, that's awesome. What do we need to do? What do we need to do? And then I love the response Peter gave. You don't do anything because the work has already been done. All you need to do is repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not if you live a moral life, if you become a really, really good person. No, if you repent and be baptized. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. God started something so irresistible that the whole world wanted in on it even before they understood what was happening because of how appealing this was. And if you were one of the people that didn't tune out when I read a lot of scripture there, how attractive does this sound? And even if you're not a believer yet, I mean, I think if we really lived this out, you'd be a little more enticed to wanna be a part of a local church. And so I get it. But this is what God had in mind. This is how God defines what a spirit-filled church is. Because that definition gets hijacked into some really crazy stuff. But what I wanna look at today is not my words, just straight up, I'm, just, I'm hiding behind scripture today. Okay, because what I have to say doesn't matter at all. But what God says a spirit-filled church should look like That's what you need to pay attention to. So that's what we're gonna examine today. Spirit-filled churches, again, pulling from every verse we just read, spirit-filled churches bring diverse cultures together. They bring diverse cultures together. Look at this. Jews staying from every single nation, every single nation under heaven showed up that day. And when they heard the sound, they came together. So they weren't just cohabitating, they were like, now we're all in this together here, what is going on? And then they heard their own language being spoken. It didn't matter what language they spoke, everyone was like, whoa, how do you know how to speak my language? How, what, you don't know, you didn't grow up in these streets. Like you don't know, how, are you, how is this happening? Like what is going on here? And that's the beauty of what Christianity is. It is a call to flee from your life of sin and repent, yes. But you do not have to flee from your culture or your language, again, except for sinful parts of our culture. But no one who converted to Christianity had to forsake all the culture that they grew up with or had to change their language. They were able to keep those special parts that God created about them (laughs) and the homes that God had them be brought up in. They didn't have to leave that behind. They all came together and the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to be unified even though that they were diverse. And that's a very significant thing about the Christian faith is that we didn't have to lose our language or our culture in order to convert. I wanna show you this map here. This is a map of all major world religions, okay? So whatever country is on this map, the main practice religion, the majority religion for that country is on here. Now, Christianity is in purple, okay? So that's, uh, I'm not showing you this map to show our world domination, okay? Because we're not there yet because until this whole map is truly purple, we ain't done, okay? But that's not the purpose of this map. What I want you to see is something very unique to Christianity. Because no one had to change their culture, it led, one of the many reasons it led, towards global revival, was because look at this, the difference between Christianity and all these other religions, they're all sequestered into specific regions of the world. So whatever color you see here, they're all locked into the same region. But Christianity from all over, all of them came together, but they didn't have to change their culture in the process. Here's the good thing about a diverse church, and this is why the Holy Spirit brings in diversity, because every culture from this region, this region, this region, and this region magnifies something beautiful about God, but is also missing out on a key characteristic that another culture can bring into play. So I know a little bit about this because i married outside of my culture. I married a Latina, okay? And let me tell you, I love that girl. I mean, she had, but it was different, all right? It was, it was the first time I dated outside of my race. And let me tell you, I had a lot to learn one of those things I had to learn is I have to lie to my wife every time I need her to show up on time somewhere. Okay. So I have to tell her, Hey, we got to leave by nine. We got when really we've got until 10, but we won't be there on time. So for me and most white people, we want to be on time. Like there are rules people. And I love being on time. But for my wife, it's Whoa, 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 y'all need to calm down. Like, can't we just enjoy, can't we just enjoy our life? I wanna make my entrance into this place. I want everyone to see me walk it, right? So it's this grand thing, and I say it all in jest, but we don't have to change those different parts of our culture because the Holy Spirit brings together. Diversity is so, so beautiful, and God created us to be diverse so that together we could see the bigger picture of the beauty of Christ. That's what Spirit-filled churches do. Another aspect of spirit-filled churches, and I love this one, spirit-filled churches allow people to ask questions. Look at this, amazed and perplexed, they they ask one another, what does this mean? I love that they felt safe enough in that moment because they were surrounded by Holy Spirit-filled people, they felt safe to explore their deep questions and maybe even their doubt. And I will say this, the mark of a truly spirit-filled church is we're not afraid, of any of your questions, even your doubts. We're not scared because I am so convinced that the gospel is real and that that tomb is empty that I promise you there are answers to your questions. This is not a blind faith where we're like, no, 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 you just don't pay attention to those questions, that's the enemy. No, 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 explore it. And let me tell you guys, if you create a home where your teenagers are not allowed to ask questions or if we create a church where we don't let people come in and explore the questions and even their doubts about the Christian faith, guess what will happen? The world is more than happy to have that conversation for us. The universities that they're going to attend in the fall would be more than happy to explain to them their answers. And frankly, if I'm being honest, a lot of times their answers make a whole lot more sense than the religious rhetoric and all the Christianese that we spout out because we actually don't even know what it means, okay? So let that convict you, let it challenge you, but make room. We've got, look, we're not scared of your questions or your doubts here at Go Church. Come through MoveTrack, because that's the starting point for all of these conversations. And if you ask a question there and you are not satisfied with that answer, We're not so big yet where I can't just go to coffee with you. All right, I would be honored. You can pay for me. All right, so you buy my coffee. We'll sit down and we'll talk about it because we want to coach you through this Christian faith. There are answers to your questions. Don't look on YouTube. Don't look in the world. Come here to the church because spirit-filled churches are not scared of your questions. All right, let's keep going. Spirit-filled churches, oh, come on, Jesus. They preach the conviction and confession of sin okay let's talk about this for a second here because this is uh this is crucial this is the gospel right here peter is preaching a word and it stirs up revival in everyone's heart let all be israel be assured of this god made this jesus whom you crucified and i feel like he paused right there and started pointing people out in the crowd you were there You were in front of Pontius Pilate and he would have released Jesus, but you told him to release Barabbas, a murderer. You told him to do that. You shouted, crucify him. The savior of the world, God himself, you wanted him dead. And he didn't hold any punches back. And he said, you've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with your sin. The things you want, the things you desire are not in alignment with God's design. We're broken, we want things our way and we think that if we desire something, then it must be from God. No, your flesh wants sin and it wants disarray with God. Your flesh wants Barabbas, not Jesus because you don't have to change your lifestyle for Barabbas. Your sin wants, wants Barabbas. It doesn't wanna have to conform to Jesus. And this is what he told them. You crucified him and they were cut to the heart, cut to the heart. Had to watch my two-and-a-half-month-old baby get his shots the other day. And let me tell you, it was hard, okay? Oh, they, they, they jabbed him right in the leg, and I was like, oh, okay. And I'm holding, and I'm just like, oh, man, it was so hard. Why? They had to pierce, and they couldn't just spray him with the inoculation. I wish they could. Somebody please invent that. But they couldn't just spray him. Had to pierce. Had to get in to inject him with these things that would inoculate him against dangerous viruses. Preaching should do the same thing. And if you're listening to a sermon that's really nerfy and it feels really good, it's like, wow, I can keep doing everything I've always been doing. That's not the gospel. It will not transform your life. You will stay stuck in your sin and the cancer of your soul will eat away at you, but, This is not bad news, this is good news. This is the gospel. Because while you were so consumed by your sin and undesirable to anybody when you're stuck in your sin, Jesus said, no, 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 I'll take it, I'll take it. You're not so undesirable for me, I want you. And he came and took the penalty for your sin so that you could get his righteousness. He took your sin, you got his saving grace and his righteousness. This is good news, but you can't get here if you don't admit that you are a sinner. We're sinners, guys, I'm a sinner. I can't be any better than anyone else. Even though I'm a pastor, it doesn't matter. We're sinners saved by grace. And if you don't convict, if you don't feel conviction for your sin and you don't confess your sin, you cannot be made right with Jesus. You have to confess your sins. You have to repent from your sinful nature. Selah, okay, here we go. Keep going, a little Christian humor for you. Spirit-filled churches hunger for the word of God. They hunger for the word of God they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, let me give you a little context here because this is different than like the preaching you hear on Sundays, like today, or every Sunday when Pastor JC's on this stage. The apostles' teaching was the Bible, okay? They were literally writing the Bible, like the letters they would write to the churches and their sermons became the scripture for us, okay? So my sermons are not scripture, my sermons, point you to scripture, okay? There is a big difference there. I am not an apostle, I'm a pastor. And I'm here to, again, hold up the cross and his word and say, don't look at me, look at the word of God. But this does not say they devoted themselves to the apostles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me pause right here, because we live in America and celebrity culture has made its way into the church. And I, I'm, and I said this in the last gathering, and I'm gonna say it again. You got some pastors you need to unfollow on social media right now. You need to unfollow them. And I'm not saying I'm better than them, but what I am telling you is this. We can become so hooked to a personality that scratches the itch that we're longing for, which Timothy talked about that, by the way. That Oh, well, this pastor says the things that I wanna hear. Stop, stop following them. Don't listen to them. If, if the sermon you're hearing is not tethered to the word of God, and if it doesn't end at the cross, throw it away because it's self-help and it will not have any power to change your life. We've got to have a hunger for the word of God, not for really cool teaching. I can't be, I gave up that years ago. I just can't impress you with my sermons. But if I hold up the word of God, it'll change everything, not because I'm the one saying it, but because it's just, it's good. His word is good. And we need to make sure, not only that we hunger for the word of God, but that we develop ourselves so that we can actually understand it. This is a 2,000-year-old text. Let's be honest, okay? It's hard. Like, is that okay to say it in church? It is hard to understand the Bible because we've had 2,000 years of cultural shifting going on. So you've gotta be a student of the word. You've gotta learn it. God didn't just zap us with knowledge of everything, of all the mysteries of universe. He said, no, get in the word, hunger for the word. And every single day from one degree to another, I'll transform you in to my image. Devote yourself to the word of God, not to the people sharing the word of God. Spirit-filled churches, I won't spend a lot of time here. They love spending time together. They were devoted, yeah, to the teaching, but also to fellowship. They just enjoyed being together like they just loved each other so much. And if this is not a church that you can come in and and love the people, you need to go to a church where you do love the people that are preaching the word of God, because you need this. You need to get around the body of Christ. I've said this so many times in my closing here recently, church is not about listening to sermons, okay? You can stay home for that, For goodness gracious, just stay home if you want good sermons. There's like hundreds of thousands of really good sermons out there on the internet. That's not what church is. This, these people that I know so many of you intimately and you're awesome and I love you and you're different than me, that's for sure, but I love you so much and I love being around all you knuckleheads. You need to get together with one another. They love spending time together. Listen, show up. Show up this Wednesday night, 7 p.m. right here in the parking lot. We're inflatables for the kids, free food. Just bring a lawn chair. And meet someone you don't know and talk to them and be their friend and be the church. The building is not a church. A Sunday gathering is not the church. You're the church, so meet the people that call this church family home, all right? Spirit-filled churches also remember Christ through communion. So yes, they got together and they had fun. I know they played games together. I I wish I could kind of see what their hangouts looked like But what would always happen when they got together is they would always break bread, which means they took communion. They remembered Christ through communion. At some point when they spent time together, they said, okay, well, let's remember what's bringing us all together. We're not all coming together because we all vote the same way. We're not coming together because we like the same sports teams. We're all coming together because of the work of Christ on the cross. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. And this is what you need, and this is what I need. You need friends that every time you talk and every time you spend time together, they just, the conversation always goes towards the gospel and it always goes towards the faith. If you don't have friends like that, you gotta get involved in a group, you gotta get involved somewhere. I have so many people in my life that we can't end a conversation without bringing up something theological, something faith-based, you need that. You need people, I cherish those relationships so much. It it changes my life, it'll change your, your life too. Let's keep going here. Spirit-filled churches pray individually and corporately. Right? They devoted themselves to the teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, listen, this is a church, right? You're expecting to hear this, so you've heard it a 100 times, but I want this to really sink in. You cannot know God if you don't pray. Like, you, you have to pray, and you've gotta work at it, and it's not easy. It's like learning a new language. It's, I feel like I've been learning Spanish for like years. And I took three years of it in high school and I still, I just know my vocabulary words. It's hard, but you need to get in the word, you need to get in the word, but you need to get in, in, on your knees in prayer. And this is what we do. The, the thing about this praying individually and corporately is so many of us, we're only good at one or the other. So more of our shy people, more of our introverts, you love prayer when it's by yourself, right? when there's no one around judging you, right? And, and look, I get it, I get it. You don't wanna be embarrassed. Other people seem like their prayer life is so, so great and yours isn't really that good. I understand that, but you do need to look inward and say, you're making that all about you. Like your unwillingness to pray out loud for other people isn't because you want what God has for them. You want to be Uh, respected and liked, and you aren't willing to pray out loud for people because you feel like you will lose your reputation in front of them, and that is selfishness, okay? So your next step in your faith journey, you need to get comfortable praying out loud for people. You need to get in this room on the first Saturday of every month at 9 a.m., and you need to lay hands on someone, and it doesn't matter if it's very passion-filled, if it's very eloquent, if it only takes 12 seconds and your prayer is over, you just need to pray something genuine because that's your next step in your faith journey. That's how you're gonna know prayer is not all about you. However, let me talk to another group of people. Some of you, you only pray corporately and you don't pray individually. And what happens here is your prayer is also all about you and Jesus, this isn't my words, Jesus preached about this in Matthew chapter five. He said, your audience is not God, your audience is everyone listening to how good you are. You throw in all those Bible verses and you know the reference to the Bible verses and you say it and you are so impressive. And I mean, they're just like, wow, he prays so good. Her prayer is so passionate and it's all about you. And you don't, care. but you don't, when you're by yourself and, and a single word going up to heaven because there's no one around impressing you because your real motive wasn't to actually pray for people. You just wanted people to see you as someone who prays for people. You feel me? So let that sting however much it needs to, which by the way, all of us are falling into one of these two categories, myself included. And let me talk to anyone at this church that works on staff or anyone watching online that you work at another church. Don't you fall into this category because Jesus said, you're gonna stand before me and you're gonna say, we cast out demons in your name, we prophesied in your name, and he's gonna look at you and say, yeah, but I never knew you. You're an empty hollow shell that I could still use to advance my gospel, but I don't know who you are. And I don't want that to be said of David Waldrop. I wanna know the Lord intimately and don't you let yourself fall into that category here. Let's keep, oh, well, I do gotta show you this, This is cool, a cool little quote. True prayer reminds us that we're not in control and it keeps us close to the one who is in control. Uh, this is what happens. When you don't have a prayer life, you're gonna start, two really, really bad things are gonna happen. One, you are gonna believe a sick delusion that you are in control and that all the good things in your life are because you're just awesome. You pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. You work really, really hard for all those things. And listen, you do, and I respect that. And as Christians, we should have a good work ethic. But if you were born in Tibet, it don't matter how hard you work, you're gonna be broke your whole entire life because God positioned you in that family with those resources to get that education, not so that you could sit there and enjoy it, but so that you could leverage it to bring the gospel to people that haven't heard it and that you could impact the people all around you. So you're not in control. And if you don't pray, you're gonna start to believe that you are. And it also keeps us close to the one who is in control. If you don't pray, you're not willing to pray, you're not close to the God who controls everything. That's a dangerous place to be. If I know God controls everything, get me in his presence as much as I can because I wanna be in his side, I wanna be in his corner. So that's what spirit-filled churches do. Spirit-filled churches are also constantly and consistently amazed by God. Look at this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. I won't spend a lot of time here because I got a lot of other things I wanna tell you today. But when's the last time you just sat down and thought about the gospel and were just like, man, that's amazing that Jesus would love someone like me. Me, me, this scrawny little white boy from Sharpsburg, Georgia, he, he, why, why me? You're the God of the universe, why do you care about me? And look, the Bible tells us angels look into the gospel and long to understand, because the angels are looking at the story of the gospel and they're like, why are you doing this, Jesus? Just let him go. They're done for. They're hopeless in their sin. Just let them let them go. But he loves us, and it confounds them. They're looking at it eternally, wondering, oh, my gosh, why does he love these people so much? But here we are, and the song's playing. Well, yeah, you are powerful. God above it all. I believe in you. <laughs> I don't believe you, all right? I don't believe that you believe that. I, I can't, Like, your worship goes up a notch when you're amazed at the wonders of God, even when Your prayer requests, (coughs) pardon me, when your prayer requests don't get answered according to your way, he's still amazing. He doesn't owe you anything. Don't let entitlement creep in. Stay amazed by the presence of God. (laughs) Spirit-filled churches, let's talk about it. Let's talk about this for a second. They experience unity and equality. All the believers were together, like together and they were so diverse. We talked about the diversity of, of everything, but they were together and they had everything in common. I'm not talking about uniformity here, because we already talked about that. Diversity is beautiful. You don't need to all be the same. That would be so boring, okay? But unity, despite the adversity. Let's talk about that for a second. I'm pretty sure I said this last time I preached, but I wanna say it again, because I don't believe you guys listen to at least half the things I'm saying anyway, so let me say it one more time, all right? We sh- and I, I just got done talking about prayer. We should pray for unity. Please keep praying for unity. We are one year away from another presidential election and I am just, me and Pastor AC, we talk about it all the time. Y'all, y'all need, look, you see that right there? Come on, okay? Please, for the love. Don't put us through that like you did last time, okay? But unity, unity, you should pray for it. But here's why we pray for it and we're not experiencing it. It's because what our, pre- be honest with yourself. Okay, for a second, be real. And I'm not judging you because I got a little bit of this in me too. Our prayer, sometimes it has good intentions, but it comes across as, okay, God, I got it. I know exactly how the world should be going. So my prayer is that unify us all under the way that I think it should go, right? Get all these people out there that are crazy, they believe some weird stuff, get them in alignment with what you and I know is the best thing, right? Like, you and I are on the same page here, get them all together. And I tell you, we can say it laughing, but that's what your prayer sounds like to God, where he's like, hey... Why don't you get out of the ivory tower that you're lifting up these prayers in and realize your ideas are horrible just like theirs and you're all sinners and you all need a savior. So why don't you get out there? Because look what happened. All these cultures came together from heaven and earth, but they, they came together. There was a focal point that brought every single culture together and it wasn't agreement on a political policy. It was an agreement that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all and all of us are flawed and all of us are broken and I wanna be united under that and when we start there, we can work together to get more unified and that is what the gospel is. And I I wanna keep going here because I wanna talk about equality as well. And uh, let let me say this. I think that, again, the reason we're not experiencing unity even in our churches is because we've forgotten the gospel we have forgotten that we are sinners saved by grace, that because we're Christians, we are not superior to any other human being ever. Paul even wrote, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he said, look, I'm the chief of sinners, I've done a lot of really cool religious things, and I'm the worst of sinners, and that's the, that's the truth of the cross, that's the reality of the cross, and we forget that. But let me tell you a lie that the culture tells us about equality, and I gotta expose this, and I love you, and if you're a skeptic of the Christian faith, Please keep coming. I'm not mad at you and I'm not trying to preach down to you, but you need to hear this truth because you won't get it anywhere else. You've been taught, and I get, it, it sounds good on paper, it, but it's the hypocrisy of tolerance and pluralism in our society. And it sounds something like this. Again, sounds good on paper. Why can't all you other faiths just get in your corners, right? do your little religious thing and just be tolerant and, and, and appreciate everyone's differences because after all, all roads lead to Christ, okay? Or all roads lead to God anyways. Whatever God even means, it's, you're all doing the same thing basically. And let me tell you, that is not true, okay? That's your assertion. That is not, that's not a fact. That's an assertion. And so the skeptical argument against Christianity is, hey, quit telling other religions that you've got the absolute truth and they don't. The truth is that all religions lead to God. So should I take your word for that? Like, is that an absolute truth claim that there are no absolute truth claims? I know it's like, it's like the weekend and you're like, it's hard to digest all this, but it's hypocritical to say, hey, tolerate everybody except for the people that are intolerant we're not gonna we're not gonna tolerate people that disagree with our agenda we want to all have the same agenda here pluralism is the best listen if you believe that that that's your virtue you will not be able to tolerate people who disagree with you because your worldview is not based on news it's based on advice and it's a prescription christianity truly is and it's not because we're right you're wrong Christianity is actually the best worldview, not only because it's just true, which I really believe that, but even sociologically speaking, it's a faith that when we follow it to the fundamentals like we're supposed to, it flattens the playing field. That the foot of the cross is a level playing field for everyone. That we're sinners saved by grace. We're not saved by our performance. If we were, then some people could be better than others. But because we're saved by grace, we're all equally sinful. And that is actually the best thing for a society. That's why revival spread all throughout the other churches. So uh, let's just keep going here. Spirit-filled churches, I love this. Radically, radically generous. Like radically generous. Don't blow past uh, verses like this when you read this. This is amazing. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Anyone, even non-believers. They sold their retirement plan to get people out of debt. They were radically, radically generous. They were noted by their generosity. They weren't, goodness, sometimes we refuse to help people because we're really frustrated at what ended them up in that situation to begin with, right? Well, I'm not helping them. They made all those bad financial decisions and they're the ones that did that. So they need to figure it out. Can I tell you? That is. That might be other religions. That's not the gospel. Because Jesus didn't sit up in heaven and say, well, God, after all, they got themselves into this. They took the forbidden fruit. They're the ones who are sinning. They need to figure out their way to heaven. No, that's not what happened. Jesus said, nope, they're hopeless. They're in debt that they can't pay back. So I will leave behind all of the riches of heaven put on flesh, and save them so that I can lift them up out of their situation. And that is what transformed these communities because they were truly spirit-filled. They recognized, we believe in a Jesus who bankrupted himself, took on, his net worth was zero when he was hanging on the cross. The only thing he had was a cloak and they were gambling for it at the foot of the cross. He had nothing left. And if we were saved by a Jesus who did that, who are we to hold on to our possessions? They were transformed by that. They didn't sell it all to get the favor of God, by the way, because get that prosperity gospel nonsense out of my face. That's not what this was. It was, no, I'm not selling my, my possessions to get something from God. I'm selling my possessions because I don't need them to have my eternal security. Look at, um, I'm about to show you on the screen here. This letter, this is a true archeological discovery, a letter written uh, from the uh, Julian the Apostate. And he was writing to one of his pagan priests in the fourth century. And he was writing because he was very, very frustrated about the spread of Christianity taking over the entire world. The Roman Empire, without any political insurrection, without any political reform, was sweeping over the Roman Empire, the most oppressive government in human history, and it was happening because of these churches. And this is what, again, not a Christian letter, someone opposing and and hating against the church. This is what he said is the reason for the spread. Christianity has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that not a single Jew who is a beggar, there's not a single Jew begging because all their needs are being met, and that the godless Galileans, which is where Jesus came from, by the way, care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. For the pagan poor people, they cared for them too. While those who belong to us, the pagans, look to us in vain for the help we should render them. Why do they look to the pagan churches in vain? Because pagans don't believe in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. If your worldview doesn't believe that humanity has value just because God created them, of course you're not gonna help people that are in need. And you might ascribe to the Christian faith, but until you let the, the theology of the Imago Dei that everyone's created in the image of God, if that doesn't sink in, you're gonna be greedy. You're gonna, or at least you're gonna have selective generosity. They didn't have that. They were helping pagans and it was changing the Roman empire because their hope was not in their possession anymore. They were radically, radically generous. So look, if you're spirit-filled, money just falls through your hands. Your schedule just falls through your hands because you don't need it, which brings me to my next thing. And I'm hurrying here. I know you gotta get places, but bear with me here. I wanna wanna teach for a second. Spirit-filled churches base their entire schedule around their faith and their Christian community. Uh, Look, every single day, they met together in the temple courts. They went to church every day. I mean, that is like, wow, that's a lot. Their whole calendar became centered on their faith and on their community of faith, everything. It wasn't, well, I need a break, I need this. And look, I I try not to spend a lot of time preaching on things that I can't relate to, so I'm gonna breeze past this one. I can't relate to this, I'm sorry. And this doesn't make me better than you. I got other struggles that I've already preached about up on here, but man, when I got saved, I was six years old, the gospel made sense to me. You couldn't keep me out of this church. If the doors were open, I was here, driving all the pastors crazy, just I was all over the place, everywhere. Get in the house of God, base your whole schedule around your faith, your Christian community. Spirit-filled churches, just are genuinely joyful people, like genuinely joyful people, not always happy because there's a season for mourning, a season for sadness and a season for rejoicing, but they were spirit-filled which helped them to be glad and sincere. Why? You can be glad when you're spirit-filled because all of the deepest longings of your soul are met by the gospel and nothing else and nothing in this world can satisfy. That'll make you glad even when you lose stuff, you're like, you know what? As long as I got Jesus, I don't need anything else. And it'll make you glad, but it'll also make you sincere. It'll make you a genuine person. There was no fake, well, I say that. There wasn't a whole lot of, fa- we're gonna talk about Ananias and Sapphira probably next week, but that's a whole other thing. There wasn't a lot of fake people in there. Why? When you're spirit-filled, you are radically accepted just as you are, and you're being conformed to the image of Christ. So if the God of the universe accepted you as a flawed human being, why would you need to fake it to impress people that can't do anything for your eternity? You don't have to be fake. You don't have to impress people anymore. You can be real and jacked up just like all of us because God accepted us just as we are and he loves us too much to leave us that way. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Two more things here. Bear with me. Spirit-filled churches give all the praise to God. All the praise to God they came in there just loving on Jesus. I mean, it was never about them. The Holy Spirit has one ministry, and you need to hear this, especially if you grew up Pentecostal. I need you to listen to me. The Holy Spirit has one mission, and it is to highlight the beauty and the majesty of Jesus and the gospel. That is his ministry, It's to point people to the cross. His ministry is not to give you a big old platform so you can have this big fancy title and impress people with how spiritual you are. If you are using spiritual gifts to bring people to your platform and to bring recognition to you, you are not operating in alignment with the gospel and you need to repent, okay? Because you're not pointing people to the cross, you're pointing people somewhere else. Spirit-filled churches give all the praise to God. They come in ready to worship. They enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. They came in ready to worship. I want you to come in ready to worship alongside all of us. Another thing about spirit-filled churches, they positively influence their city. Look at this, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, not just the believers. They didn't only get celebrated by believers the church or the community around them, the pagans around them were obsessed with this movement because they're like, what is up with these people? They're taking care of our poor. They're, they're dying of the plague while everyone's fleeing because they're caring for people that are sick and they're dying. What is up with these people? They, and look, even before they understood their theology, they said, look, I don't know if I can believe all that Christian stuff, but I sure would like to hire someone who does. I I don't know if I believe in all that Christian stuff, but I sure hope my daughter marries one because I tell you, those people are awesome. I I don't know what our city would do without those Christians because they're taking care of our sick people. They're making this city a better place. Spirit-filled churches are not scared of unbelievers. You're not scared of sin. You're not scared. I'm not scared of the sinful agenda that Satan has for America and for the whole world. It don't scare me. In fact, I was praying this this week. Lord, send revival. What if revival starts to, oh, I'm, woo, What if revival starts to look like a faith that's not propped up by the government anymore? What if we actually had to do a little bit of evangelism ourselves instead of relying on church culture in America? If that's what it takes, Lord, clean out the moldy basement of what churches have become and get us back to the cross, to the beauty of the gospel. I don't need the government to affirm my faith. The government did affirm theirs i don't need it to affirm mine i just need to know that jesus's tomb is still empty that's my hope that's my prayer so if that's what revival takes then let it come lord if i stop the the sermon right here you would do your best and i had 14 points just now and i'm so sorry about that (laughs) and i know that's a lot if i stop it right here you would go and try really hard to do those things and that's not the gospel and thank god that's not where this chapter ended this is where it ended and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. This is what spirit-filled churches know. They know that only Christ can bring about salvation. My prayer for Go Church is that we look exactly like this. I wanna be conformed into a spirit-filled Acts chapter two church. I want that for my own life individually and collectively. And we're gonna fall short because we're, we're sin. I mean, at the end of the day, we're filled with sin, but we're striving to be this way. But even if we achieved it, and I need you, please push past the exhaustion and the hunger. I need you to hear this. Even if we achieved it perfectly, we cannot save you. You can go through MoveTrack, become a member, give, serve, attend. You can do all of those things and not know Jesus. I have watched enough documentaries about mega churches that are all out there right now to know the difference between getting someone hooked to our brand versus getting someone to the foot of the cross. And we are committed to being a church. I don't need you to love Go Church. I need you to love the cross of Christ because that is what brings about salvation. I can't save you. Pastor JC can't save you. Your small group can't save you. Your Go team can't save you. It's at the cross. Hit his ad, the cross. Get to the cross. People, admit, come on. You don't even follow your own rules for your life. You don't even follow the, your own rules for what makes someone a good person. You know, skeptics of the faith, people watching online, you know there's something in you broken. Come on, quit trying to justify it. Quit trying to find theologians that'll say what you need to hear. Get to the cross, admit it. Let this message cut to your heart. Not my sermon, the gospel, let it get in. Repent of your sin. Believe that Jesus is real and that he loves you and died for you. You're more sinful than you ever dared think. You didn't even realize how bad you were, but you're more loved than you could have ever hoped. You don't realize how much he loved you. That will change your life. Go Church can't change your life. It can make you feel good for a while, but the cross, if you can get here, everything changes. That's my invitation to you today. If you're in here today, you have not made a decision to follow Jesus. You haven't repented of your sin. You've relied on church to make you feel good, your counselor to make you feel good, which all of those are great things, but you know that the longing of your soul can be met by Jesus Christ. You're ready to repent from your sin. You're ready to commit your life to him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to make that decision today. If that's you and you wanna follow Jesus and be saved and be added to those being saved today, I want you to raise your hand up, hold it up for just a second so that we can get a good count here. Thank you, Jesus. I see your hand. One, two, three. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Four, five. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else? Thank you, Jesus. Five people raising their hands. Let's pray. Come on. The gospel isn't just for the unbeliever. The gospel's for the believer too. So let's all repent and give him the praise right now. Father, we come before you humble and broken by our sin, like those people that heard the word and said, what should we do now? What can I do about my sin? God, my sin put you on the cross. What do I do about it, Lord? All I have to do is accept the cross as the payment for my sin. I repent and we, especially those five that raised their hand, we repent of our sin. We turn from our wicked ways. We believe that you are who you say you are and we commit our life to you. Conform us into what a spirit-filled church truly looks like so that we can carry this revival, not only to feel good within these walls, but so that Coweta County, Fayette County, and ultimately the whole world would know that you are God and that you are sovereign over all. We give you all the praise in your name, Jesus. Amen, amen. Church, family, five people just committed their life to Christ. Come on.